Welcome to After the Fact. It's a Knowing Faith mini-episode where we look to take a big question and address it in just a few minutes. Our After the Fact episodes this season are brought to you by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you haven't had a chance to find out if seminary is right for you, you should hop over to sbts.edu slash explore where Southern has designed a really helpful tool to help you think through this question. We're discussing Romans on Knowing Faith this season, and joining us today is Dr. Robert Plummer. Dr. Plummer is the Colin and Evelyn Aikman Professor of Biblical Studies at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and the author of several books, including but not limited to Greek for Life, Going Deeper with the New Testament Greek, and 40 Questions About Interpreting the Bible. He also founded and hosts The Daily Dose of Greek, which you can check out at dailydoseofgreek.com. Dr. Plummer, welcome to After the Fact. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be here, Kyle. Thanks. So here's the big question for us. What are the top two to three interpretive icebergs when we when we are reading scripture? That's a great question. And it's a question I think a lot of Christians, whether they articulate it or not, they have because they want to be faithful when they read the scriptures. Christians don't want to distort the scriptures. They don't want to add to them or take away from them. So let's think about that. The first thing that came to my mind was honestly just knowing the scriptures and being shaped by them rather than by, say, reruns of The Office or professional sport, watching professional sports. Christians, um, if they want to interpret the Bible rightly, to read the small pieces in light of the whole, they need to know the Bible. They need to read the Bible. And so that would be my first challenge to listeners is to just assess, really, is your life being shaped by Scripture? Are you reading the Word of God? Are you thinking about it? How much is it shaping your thoughts as opposed to the other intakes you have in through your phone, through media, television, things like that? So that's my challenge. First, just read and know the Word of God. Secondly, an interpretive iceberg, I would call it the Luke 646 iceberg. And this is where Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. It's a searching question for us. And it's a reminder that interpreting the Bible is not just about knowing more stuff, but it's about knowing it and then living in light of it. It's about following Jesus as our Lord, that we wouldn't just call him Lord. It wouldn't just be something we say, but it would really shape who we are and what we do. We would, we would submit to him as his followers and know him and love him. So that'd be my challenge to our readers, too our listeners, that they, um, that they would be people who don't just learn about God, but they would come to know him and it would shape the, way, the, the decisions they make about their finances, about their relationships, and so on. A third interpretive iceberg, final one I'll just bring up right now, would be, uh, we could call it the reader response iceberg. And you know, Kyle, I'm sure that the dominant approach really to interpreting literature that we find in many secular universities is something called reader response. It's a broad umbrella of interpretation where basically you you have permission to take the text and do what you want with it. You can make it say what you want. You use it as a springboard or a fulcrum to address topics of interest to you or to criticize others. And I think... Many people unknowingly can do that with the Bible. We're, and and we're sort of learn that, sadly, through poor devotional material that just sort of springboards off children's literature on the Bible, children's Bibles that pay no attention to what the inspired author was intending to convey through the passage, but just use it to sort of keep people busy with facts or just 
uh, what is this? Is it the proverbial Sunday school class where everyone goes around and shares their ignorance? You know, what does this mean to you? Without really asking, what did the Apostle John mean by conveying? What did the Apostle Paul? And so, for example, in Second Peter three sixteen, Peter warns us that ignorant and unstable people are distorting Paul's writings, which he calls scripture, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. And so, we don't. We when we read Paul's writings, we want. We want to convey what the Apostle Paul intended to convey. Obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, but but Paul didn't go into a trance and wake up and then say, I wonder what I wrote to the Galatians, right? So we, we read it carefully. We don't want we want our teaching to be in line with the apostolic purpose of that. Second Timothy two fifteen, if I lean over here in my office, I can see the Greek writing of that on the front of the Norton Administration Building, to rightly divide the word of truth. That's what we want to be as Christians, not just pastors, not just Sunday school teachers, but all Christians. When we come to the word of God, we don't want to twist it. We want to deliver it straightly. We want to deliver it in its full, undiluted power uh, as inspired by the Holy Spirit. So those will be um, the three icebergs that come to mind uh, as, you know, just first things that come to my mind. That's really helpful, Dr. Plummer. Maybe just ask, let me ask a follow-up question. I find that that kind of reader response approach, like you mentioned, is really widely available in most church small groups and Bible studies, um, where you just kind of read a passage and then you're like, okay, well, how do we all feel about it? What do we all think about that? Let's imagine a listener finds themselves in a, a church, uh, a church that, that that believes the gospel. So we're assuming it's a healthy church. It's, it's a church that you wouldn't mind one of your children being a part of. And But the dominant kind of approach to the Bible in small group settings or in Bible studies is more of just a, okay, we read the passage. What do you think about that? How do you feel about that? What, what would you tell, how could somebody be a very gracious and compassionate agent of maybe redirection to a more faithful approach uh, in the context of a group like that? How might, how might you might advise someone if they're going, listen, Dr. Plummer, I, I just read your 40 questions to interpreting the Bible. I want uh, my small group to be more faithful when we're dealing with the text. It feels like there's a lot of reader response kind of approaches to Bible study in my small group. What would you say, hey, consider taking this step? Yes, that's a great question, and I think it depends a lot upon your relationship with that small group. So at one point in the question, you were imagining visiting a church that you're not part of, and then another one, you said, what about if it's my small group? So those are kind of two different questions. I think that people rightly have hesitation in addressing this. If if you're ready to charge in and beat people up with truth, then you should definitely not address this. So I'd say if you're, say you're visiting a church, you're not a member, you may never go back to this church. Probably you should limit yourself to praying for the the leader and for the church and realize that something you say will have just a co- offhanded comment or an attempt at correction will likely not be received or even understood. So that's a matter for prayer. That's a like but secondly, if you're part of a group where you have investment, you have relationships, uh, people know you care. You're going to be going back there. That's something I think where you you can. And then you have to assess where where I am in this in this group. If I'm the leader, well, it's pretty easy to start shifting the group to towards a more careful reading of the scripture, listening to the inspired author's intent, and seeking 
to shape our application and understanding according to that. Now, if, if the church has a long tradition of just sort of everyone sharing what they think and there being no attempt to sort of assess that, just sort of everyone everyone being like, oh, that's good for you and this is good for me. It may take some time to do that, but it can be done gently and lovingly. You can, I think it can even be addressed like, hey, you know, this is what's traditionally been done here, but I really want us as a group to lovingly really seek to understand uh, the scriptures as the Apostle Paul would have wanted us to understand his letters. I wouldn't want him to come as a visitor to our group and be let, and and say, "I have no idea what you're talking about. That's not what I intended at all." We want we want to. I think intuitively people can get that. They're like, "Oh, I wouldn't want to read Romans and come up with some application or understanding that would be completely foreign to the Apostle Paul." I mean, that would be bizarre, right? <laughs> we Most people intuitively can, can grasp that, though it may take some time. And I think just being gentle about it and kind of circling back, or you circle back to the issue and say, okay, now we've, we've gotten to share some here, but what, let's, let's ask the question, what really was Paul or John or Jeremiah, what were they seeking to convey to their original hearers and speakers? And then let's think about how is what we're talking about today and applying this really enmeshed with it, like just a direct implication of their original message. Um, I think this, this again, it's possible that someone will still be upset or offended by, by that, but if we do it lovingly and gently, um, then that's, you know, we, in the end, we can't control other people's emotional reactions. I, I'll tell you, I have a Supervise, my doctoral supervisor, Mark Seifred, had such a wonderful way of dealing with things like this in the classroom. Every now and then a student would come up with some crazy idea and just say some bizarre interpretation. He would just gently listen and sort of nod his head and say, fair enough. And then he would move on. And, and I've always found the words fair enough just are always fitting because they convey some level of respect, but then they don't, they're not affirming the truth of what someone's saying. I like that, Dr. Palmer. I'm going to start using fair enough more regularly. I'm going to steal from your doctoral supervisor there. With proper citation, of course. Uh, After the Fact is brought to you by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you want to study with incredible professors like Dr. Plummer, head over to sbts.edu and discover why Southern Seminary is trusted for truth.